0: This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Brian Murray. Joining me this week, two paper girls hoping to skip the time travel this time, (laughs) Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Welcome to the show, guys. We have two questions that our legal department has told me I have to ask you. But before we get to that, just a couple quick announcements. Uh, We are recording annual number seven on January 23rd, 2022 at 1 p.m., Uh, You can join us live or send us emails to be read or voicemails to be played. Um, Tell us what your favorite bits were from the last year. We want to kind of have a nice retrospective. We also have a Discord hangout coming out on January 22nd at 8 p.m. Now that... That is out of the way. Kate Scotchless, why don't you uh, Why don't you tell us what you read this week? How you been? How have comic books been?
1: I've been good. Comics have been good. I'm um, trying to get back into the grind after being off for a couple weeks. And um, spoiler, the grind has not started. I have fully not transitioned back into real life mode. So more comics got read than probably should have been. But, you know, we're getting there. We're slowly winding up into being functional. I read, recently read um, three volumes of The Dam Keeper, which is the complete series, and it is so not what I expected when I picked it up.
0: Not a beaver to be found.
1: There actually were beavers, though. Um oh, damn it. The, the Dam Keeper <laughs> is a pig, which was like, a, threw me right from the start. So this is a series written by Robert Kondo and Dice Tutsumi, but it's actually an Oscar nominated animated short film that they then it's like an 18 minute long short from I think 2018 that they then used the stills from to make a graphic series of graphic novels which I realized after reading volume one and was very confused that there's like production team art team and stuff in the back and that's when I looked it up and read that it was actually a short which I would say like I would rather have watched this. I think based on how gorgeous the comic was that it would be even better as a film, but you cannot stream it anywhere, not even like purchase it and stream it. So um, I needed to know what happened next. So I read the rest of the series. So the art is like an animation team with a whole bunch of names. But then this first book was nominated for a Will Eisner Comic Industry Award for Best Publications for Teens which is a uh, part two of what I didn't expect. I got this out of the children's section at my uh, local library and it's all storybook animals. So I expected sweet and heartwarming Naturally. and easy. Um, No, this is definitely a YA or adult comic and it is dark. It is dystopian. Uh, shit gets real. And so it was very good, but definitely way too scary for kids.
0: I think we call that the watership down effect.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Someone opened this at the library and was like, this is for children. Uh, No, this is like a dystopian Richard Scarry's world where they are all animals, but (laughs) shit is dark. Uh, So Sunrise Valley um, is this idyllic town. But it's like damned. The valley has a big dam protecting it. And outside that dam is this like black fog that kills all living things. So like animals, plants, everything. And the dam is all that's keeping this town safe. And so the main character, Pig, because they're very originally named. Um, <laughs> Pig is um, father is the dam keeper who like is this inventor who built the dam and all that but then he goes seemingly crazy and walks out into the fog never to be seen again presumed to be dead. And so Pig is both a child and the dam keeper, the one and only person holding this entire community back from certain death, which is a little like where are social services? This is, you know, like what is happening in this town <laughs> because he's definitely like a child child. Uh so Pig is the dam keeper and he realizes that there's a tidal wave of this black fog that's descending on Sunrise Valley that's going to overwhelm the dam. Um, bigger and bigger waves keep coming, and he like does the calculations and figures out that like the big one's coming that's going to come over the dam and just wipe out the town. And so Pig, his best friend Fox, and the town bully Hippo have to set out into the world on the other side of the dam to figure out what is going on and how to save their town. And it is such a good story But the real the real reason to read it is the art. It is so, so gorgeous, especially the use of light. It is I mean, we read a lot of good comics with a lot of good artists that are very good at using light to depict tone and mood and make things seem more vibrant and alive. But like this is so so next level beyond that even. And that's part of why I really want to see the film, because I feel like I wonder how the light moves in the animated frames versus on the page. But First Second did a really nice job putting this together. It's like a, a unusually sized book, where which has a really nice hand feel. And then obviously the printing quality, because First Second is just like feels the paper feels really nice. And the printing quality of the colors is so crisp and clean. So I really enjoyed it. Reading all three would take you less than an hour because it's mostly art. Not a lot of dialogue, but. That's what I've been up to, getting sad and crying about storybook animals.
0: I just don't know if I have it in me right now to read a story about increasing waves that get worse and worse uh-huh. until eventually <laughs> everything is overwhelmed. Uh-huh.
1: Would I have read this if I knew what I was getting into? No. Uh, <laughs> but it, it was not the, the middle grade charm that I, I was looking for, but it turned out to be very good. Good enough that in a not dystopian reading mood, I still needed to know what happened badly enough to pick up the thing. And there's like great like children's elements too. Like there is definitely a like an airship and stuff like that. Like I can see why someone flipping through thought this was for kids. Yeah, <laughs> don't give this to your seven-year-old nephew.
2: That sounds a lot like the Cottons by Joe Jim Pasco. Okay, kind of dark, but it that has that animal one. characters. Highly recommend.
0: Okay, uh, what did you read this week? How have you been?
2: Good. I'm still making my way through a whole bunch of library books that I checked out mm, Thanksgiving, and it is now past New Year. Um, I have most recently read Something New, Tales from a Makeshift Bride by Lucy Nisley. I know that Paul also likes this creator, and I'm trying to read more of her work. She somehow makes like normal life experiences really interesting and informative and like magical in a way. Um, this is all about her wedding, uh, her story of meeting her husband and them deciding to get married and, and planning the wedding and, and the actual wedding itself. And it's uh, it's a really familiar story. You guys might know that uh, I also had a small budget for my wedding. It was outdoors at my parents' place. I made most of my decorations and I bought my dress on sale, just like Lucy Nisley, as it turns out. <laughs> um, and it... it This book discusses the stress of of wedding planning while also trying to like hold on a job and manage the expectations of your your family and yourself and your spouse. But I think my favorite parts are actually between the chapters where these there are these informational spreads with with facts about weddings, like like absurd things, average costs, the most common um, like decorations, themes, things like that. This book was a brick. It was really thick. Um, it took me more than one sitting to read. I think, I think it actually took me like three or four. It's very weird for me. Anyway, it was all just very relatable. And I, I'm surprised that I enjoyed this book this much, you know, like I'm not really a person to read or, or to watch romance stories, love stories. Um, but this one really gripped me. Um,
0: Says says the woman who has been watching the same K-drama on repeat for the last year. Um,
2: I got disconnected. Uh, Bye. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Brian? What have you been reading?
0: Uh, Well, I went back and I was on Hoopla, just browsing like you do, uh, and I came across a Marvel Zombies book that I didn't recognize. and. Because I like slamming my head into a wall, <laughs> I was gonna I, say <laughs> I figured I would just check it out, and honestly, I'm glad I did. This was uh, Marvel Zombies Resurrection, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson with art by Leonard Kirk, and it's a it's a much different take on this like idea of what if zombies in the Marvel universe than the old Marvel Zombie stuff, because it's not like it's not focused on the zombies as characters. And so it's a lot less of that, like, I need to eat human flesh to live, like, (laughs) grim, dark nonsense that we got in a lot of the other stuff. Uh, This one is actually focusing on an aging Peter Parker uh, trying to survive with uh, the Fantastic Forest kids and uh, Forge and Moonstone, I think, is the other survivor with them but it's it's just a it's a cool story you know they they stick to a lot of the the classic zombie rules if you get bit you're screwed that kind of thing uh but the zombies are not like brainless shambling undead either they they maintain like an imprint of their former selves even though it is not them anymore they still maintain all of their old memories their speech patterns things like that if if you like the idea of zombies but you have felt left out, let down by previous Marvel zombies books, I would recommend checking this one out. Uh, there's, there is there is a twist that I think some comics fans, especially X Men fans, Mike, I'm calling you out, uh, <laughs> might enjoy. I don't want to give it away, but it made me go, "Oh, that's cool," and actually like enjoy the story more rather than be annoyed by the twist which so often happens yeah well before we uh get into what's on the top of our piles i just want to remind everybody to please fill out the annual ircb listener survey you'll be entered to win one of many 25 dollar gift cards to Comicsology or midtown comics your choice fill that out at bit.ly slash ircb 2022 and there will also be a link in the show notes to that uh let's get into what you're going to be reading next uh kate scotchless let's bounce back to you
1: well, I told you all about getting, uh, reading the depressing dystopian story of The Dam Keeper. So, next on my pile are Oddball by Sarah Anderson, uh, which came out last December, and Solutions and Other Problems by Allie Broche, uh, which came out in 2020, but I had to wait a thousand years on my library holds list for. I did already start just, just like 20 pages into Solutions and Other Problems. And both of these co- comics are just so funny. I, there are very few comics that I read that like consistently every few pages I'm laughing out loud, like actually laughing out loud. And both of these, um, comics do it for me. Uh, Sarah Anderson in particular is just like the most relatable comic. I I don't know the, this is the Sarah Scribbles for those of you who uh, might not recognize the name.
0: Yeah. Really speaks to the depressed millennial.
1: It It does. It does. (laughs) the depressed millennial nerd specifically
0: specifically yes
1: and then solutions and other problems is a hybrid of just like all her stuff where there's like pages of writing interspersed with images and so far what i've read has been like a decent amount from of like childhood stories she's just the weirdest effing kid <laughs> and like it's <laughs> very good it is very funny And I don't know how her like weird uh, MS paint looking drawings can be so funny, but man, they are. So that's what that's what I have coming up next. How about you guys?
2: I am going to check out this this book called The Mountains of Madness by Adam Fida, and it's like a renewal it's like a, a retelling of the hp lovecraft story about an Antarctic expedition in like the 1930s that sets off and and something very creepy and spooky and, and horror filled happens um and this this story is about like the people that try to go and find them and it they're left with all they have is a journal which of course the captain doesn't read um might have helped and uh i I imagine that this is also going to be you know spooky horror, um but I did just watch like the the season one of the show, The Terror recently, which is also about like a northern expedition and and it's spooky, something like supernatural happens and and I'm just kind of still in the mood for that very specific genre of story,
0: <laughs> something about cold, scary that just hits yeah. different,
2: yeah um and I, I i also really like comic book adaptations of of familiar stories stories that have already been released to um you know who book put form, this out or who published this it's a really good question um i don't know because
1: it does sound cool i don't know i was looking at some of the comics people recommended on the goodreads thread um talking about their favorite like snowy wintry comics and uh, have added a few of those to my holds list at the library to get some, uh, you know, seasonally appropriate reading.
2: Great. Um, I did look it up. It's Blue Fox Comics. Cool. I have not and, heard of them. And I and I added a link to the pre-order slash previews page in our show notes.
1: Cool. Okay.
2: Um, I also wanted to remind people that that um, I talked about rain number one a couple of weeks ago on the show. This is by Joe Hill and David M. Boer, and it's uh, like suspense weather horror. Um, issue one was very gripping, and it and it comes out this week. So I think I'm gonna uh, probably pick that one up one up and trade. But I just wanted to let you know if that it sounded good, check it out. Weather horror sounds too real. I am not
1: in a place in my life where that is entertaining or fun.
0: Yeah, if I want weather horror, I'll just step outside, slip on the ice, and just lay in the snow for a while.
1: Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, Um. weather horror is when it was like 60 degrees on Christmas uh, here in Michigan, where it should be like 20 degrees.
0: And now we have like two feet of snow outside, so.
1: There's a magical horse in Frozen 2. How can you call that horror? That's like my seven-year-old self's like dream come true. <laughs>
0: she says responding to mike in the discord group
1: oh i'm so sorry i yeah i did sorry <laughs> uh mike said you could watch frozen 2 but um he's wrong movies are
2: <laughs> it's magical it's not hard that's right
0: oh that's all just a matter of perspective
2: that's right brian what are you looking forward to reading
0: uh before we get into my pick i just want to give a quick shout out to our discord live listeners thank you for joining us we have some discord picks uh Mr. Mike Rappin himself suggested uh, the Department of Truth, number 15. Uh, for Matt, we have We Ride Titans, number one. Danny, we have Robin and Batman, number three. And Hugh is also looking forward to Rain, number one.
1: I uh, Department of Truth I, is one of the things I'm going to go pick up today after this at my library. I put that uh, paperback, trade paperback of the first one on hold. Oh no, Mike, why not? <laughs> Mike says not to.
0: It's it, if if you the idea of uh, weather horror is heading too real for you, Department of Truth, this gonna like throw a brick through your window.
1: <laughs> oh, oh no. Okay. Well, here's the thing though. I feel legally obligated to read it now because I had to Melcat request it. So someone had to physically pull it from one library, put it on a truck and send it to my library. So now <laughs> I have to read it, um, or I will feel extremely guilty. So uh, I'll I keep to you break, posted. It, is,
0: it is also on Hoopla. You could have Yeah.
1: Just, uh... I'm having issues with my eyes where reading on a screen is difficult. Um ah. so, yeah, it's
0: you get new eyes.
1: <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> no, what I need is a new autonomic nervous system that actually controls things correctly like my pupils.
0: Yeah, they can just like rip that out and put in a new one, right?
1: No problem whatsoever.
0: It's like putting new seats in a car.
1: <laughs> I wish.
0: Well, my pick uh for this week is unsurprisingly going to be a Star Wars book. We have uh, Star Wars, The High Republic, Eye of the Storm, number one, coming out this week. This is written by Charles Sewell, with pencils by Guillermo Sanna, uh colors by Jim Campbell, and letters by Ariana Maher, or mayor. This is telling the backstory of a character from The High Republic series called uh, Martian Rowe, who is the leader of the Nihil, which, as the name might suggest, is a nihilistic eh, pirate death cult, I guess, kind of.
1: The best kind of death cult
0: yeah they use uh secret hyperspace pathways to steal and pillage and generally be a pain in the ass to the jedi order of that time period i have been having a really hard time like keeping up with the high republic just because there's a lot of stuff coming out and i'm busy you know rereading the same 20 books
2: <laughs>
1: uh too real
0: but i'm hoping that this won't be too confusing because at least i am i'm familiar with march yun from one of the novels that i read possibly also written by charles sewell actually Um, so hopefully hopefully i'll be able to follow along and if not i'll be sure to complain about it on twitter
1: perfect (laughs) that's all we ask
0: uh let's go ahead and take a quick break and when we come back we will talk a little bit about newspaper comics This episode was commissioned by Joe Lamprex on Patreon at our $10 tier. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, We we super appreciate it. As a quick reminder, uh, anybody at the $10 tier, uh, there are uh, 12 total slots, I believe. uh, And I think we have one slot remaining. So if you're interested in commissioning an episode, uh, hop on our Patreon and sign up quick. This week, uh, we are going to be talking all about newspaper comics. Uh, You remember the Sunday funnies, as we called them in Michigan. I don't know if that was like a a common thing or not, but that's what we went with. Kate Lamphere, uh, you got a lot of notes. Why don't you start us off here?
2: Yeah, I I have picked up a great number of collections of newsprint comics that I found in my, my grandma's basement. Um, I do not know the story of why she has so many.
1: <laughs> Did, was she reading them or was it like not something she'd be into?
2: I, I don't think I've ever seen her read read any kind of comic before um, or the newspaper huh. in a long time. So I feel like they were they were. Well, I know that one of them was an aunt's book because I found her name on, on the front okay. page. But she does. T- my grandmother does tend to collect everyone else's old things. So <laughs> So anyway, I am now the owner of all of these books. <laughs> I am really interested in like the history of of how comics started happening. So I actually started reading The Comic Book History of Comics by Fred Van Lent and Ryan Dunlavy, like Six months ago and I didn't make it very far because it's the super dense book with a whole lot of information and like art references from different periods of comic book history and it's really fascinating, but oh man, if I'm gonna read this book, I need to own it so that I am not responsible for getting it back to the library within any kind of time frame because there is so much information. Yeah. but I did get through like the very beginning of how comic strips happened. And um, I wanted to to just mention the, the Cats and Jammer Kids by Rudolph Dirks that started in 1897 and finished uh, running new comics in 2006. Oh, my gosh. Um, wow. There was like a lot of, because it was so popular, there was a lot of like contention about who owned it because there were no laws or very few laws regarding yeah. creative IP, you know. So it's just really interesting to see the the history of this one particular strip that lasted forever, but that comic um, is about kids getting into trouble, basically. Um, <laughs> so now, great genre, yeah. So now, like you think about the comics that were popular in in our youth or are still now, and it's like Dennis the Menace and Calvin and Hobbes, and it's just like kids getting into trouble are just popular genres for comic strips i also noticed oh actually we got a free thanksgiving sunday paper we are we do not subscribe to the sunday paper um but we got one for free Gotta and get I those ads up. out baby i know there were so many there was more ads than there were paper but anyway yeah. i harvested the comics um <laughs> and i revisited the strips in there and tried to remember what comics were in in the newspaper from my my youth which these are different papers you know that i that i would have been reading then versus now but there were still some commonalities you know like i remember garfield i remember for better or for worse that are both still in there and then i remember nancy i don't know if anybody else ever read nancy but i did um it was by ernie bushmiller started in 1939 and it's still running And that was missing from the Grand Rapids comics. I was very that was
1: one of those one of the things that was like interesting about newspaper comic reading is very much that I would just read the full page. So my parents got the daily paper back when that was like a thing local communities had um, of the Kalamazoo Gazette, and so there were comics multiple times per week, and then the Sundays were exciting because they were in color. Uh, fancy. Yep. And I just read the whole page of them. So I read lots of comics that I didn't particularly care for, but it was the comics page. I'm obviously going to read the whole thing. And it strikes me that that is like a method of reading comics, that, which exposed me to a ton more stuff like Nancy that I wouldn't normally have picked up myself. That is very different than reading them online now where you just go to the one you want to read.
2: Yeah, I definitely did read the entire page. And man, it is it is weird jumping from something like garfield where it's just the strip and then going into something that is more like sequential like a like a, a story that is meant to be read from day to day or from weekend to weekend
0: yeah you also jump from stuff like garfield or calvin and hobbes to sometimes some real boomer shit mm-hmm. like, <laughs> there, there, are, there are some comics that i was like this was clearly written by a conservative who hates his wife
1: Yep. What
0: was that the Lockhorns, I think is what it was called. It was very much like a uh, husband and wife who are miserable with each other comic strip.
1: Yeah, that that's a very specific uh, genre of boomer humor that, you know, my wife, the demon. Ho, ho, ho.
0: There's just an article, and I can't remember what newspaper it was in recently, but it's this one talking about how, like, in order for a marriage to succeed, you need blindfolds and... Earplugs and yada yada yada. I'm just like, lady, you just have a bad marriage. I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> there's like, there's a cure for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Kate, did you have like a a favorite growing up? Kate Scatchless.
1: Um, my favorite was Calvin and Hobbes because, obviously, obviously, I think that's pretty much everyone our age that I talk to is favorite growing up. I guess I, I do have a, a siloed group. We're all a bunch of weirdo nerds, which might have something to do with it, but. I loved Calvin and Hobbes then. And of the ones I reread for this episode, Calvin and Hobbes held up the best. That's Bill Watterson's comic. Um, And I reread It's a Magical World last night from cover to cover. And I, I'm completely ready to reread the whole series now. So I like, I love that. It's like ongoing story between strips versus like entirely episodic, the way peanuts dailies are. And the strip showing calvin's like imagination are just oof chef kiss
0: space band spiff and the like yes
1: exactly and well and even just like the way he's interacting when he's out playing with like the snowmen coming alive and stuff like that it's just so much fun
0: i i literally have in my notes you show me a weird adult and i'll show you someone who was fascinated by calvin's snow monsters as a kid.
1: <laughs> it's so true so true but I really liked Speed Bump, too, which Dave Coverley, who did Speed Bump, um, went to my high school and is our most famous alumni. Um, wow. he came and spoke one time. Uh, our second most famous was the actor who played Chucky in the Chucky movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Speed Bump to me seems like far side, but nicer. Like the jokes aren't at others' expense typically. Other than that, when I was thinking about comics I loved as a kid, when I went back and looked at them, I kept realizing that like my fondness for certain uh, media like Peanuts and Garfield is totally based on the animated series or movies. The, nos- the nostalgia didn't hold so much for the um, comics themselves when I was rereading them. I don't know. Did you guys ever play with Silly Putty and like get the newsprint? image on your silly putty
0: that was i was trying to work that into the intro as like two blobs of silly putty with newspaper (laughs) on them or something but i I couldn't get away to get it out like quick and smooth so that
1: was the most loved part of the peanuts comic for me was getting snoopy on my silly putty because snoopy was like the real og and i loved him and like that that was the highlight versus the actual like jokes of peanuts and garfield which are just like crippling depression i guess <laughs> like... yeah
0: and then you get your silly putty that's like gray and horrible mm-hmm. by the end yeah family circus mike says uh, a comic that is much more religious than i remembered it being as a child
1: yeah yeah i don't know how about you guys
2: I did enjoy the Family Circus comic that was in the Thanksgiving paper that I read. And I thought that I had a Family Circus collection, but of all of the collections that I have lying around, that is not one of them. I did have a For Better or For Worse collection, which stands out to me as being like a similar, it's about the whole family kind of strip. Mm -hmm. Um, This one's by uh, Lynn Johnson, and it ran from uh, 1979 to 2008 and reruns are still being printed in 2000 newspapers this is all from wikipedia by the way so grain of salt um but i did look it up this <laughs> is <laughs> so the the for better or for worse is like stories about a a family in a fictional toronto suburb and if i if i remember right i when i was reading in the in my childhood like it kind of seemed like I was missing some context every once in a while. Like sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't work for me. And sitting down to read this collection that was called "Love Just Screws Everything Up," I realize now that I think that it is actually a s- sequential story that just
1: mm-hmm.
2: has a, a punchline every strip, because the there were there was a, a longer strip, like a six to nine panel full page comic in this book. And then there were these short strips that were three panels. And I think what happened is that the long panels would run on Sundays and the short panels would run on the weekdays and they would make an arc. At least that's how the collection reads. Yeah, that's it's like Helvin and Hobbes. Okay, see, I didn't know any of this until I read until I read this collection. And it, it just makes it so much better. It's like a full story.
1: Yeah, Exactly. It's different for sure reading it in it and like clicked ed- editions like that. But also for me, when we were going back reading stuff for this, it's so much different without that newsprint feel of like, I don't know about you guys, but like the paper when you spread it out was like, oh, you have to read this on the floor because it's big. And so you lay on the floor and have this. It's, like the feel, it's just a very different reading experience than having the book. Or what I did for a lot of these was looking them up on this uh website, comics. Um, Oh, I just added, I'm sorry. Comics.azcentral.com, which USA Today puts out, where you can read like the current dailies. And the thing that I have never thought to myself when reading a daily comic strip is I wish there was a comment section for this. And I really want to interact with that comment section. But apparently a lot of people feel that way. They read that Family Circus and they're like, you know what would really add to this is if I made a little joke or made a little comment uh like the current one has the kids sledding and people going do they even make sleds like that anymore and that's what you get for living in the midwest and like just like wow what I, what a time to be alive
2: <laughs> i would
0: rather twist my head a full 180 degrees <laughs> than read that comment section that sounds like hell on earth yeah i definitely uh steered away from those more su- sequential strips as a kid, probably because I didn't even notice it. But like Kate, I was reading them, you know, on Sunday, mm-hmm. and that was it, and not fully understanding them. So I read my my big Calvin and Hobbes books that my parents had in the oh yeah the little like cubby under the coffee table from our our nineteen seventies coffee table.
1: Mine were like Scholastic Book Fair. I would look up th- look for the like Calvin and Hobbes books.
0: Yeah. Yeah, oh the Scholastic Book Fair was a, a great a great resource. I, I usually stuck more towards the far side. Um, which is interesting that you, you mentioned earlier and said that I think you said that uh, far side was like a little more mean spirited than
1: Sometimes, yeah. the other
0: one. Sometimes like
1: speed bump is excessively wholesome.
0: <laughs> I never picked up on it, but looking back on it, my family was also kind of sarcastic and mean spirited. So maybe <laughs> that's like why it resonated so well with me. My my favorite cocktail fact, and this is probably common knowledge at this point, uh, you know, Stegosaur, that thing at the end of their tail, the spikes, did not actually have a normal name until uh, Gary Larson made a joke about it, calling it the Thagomizer, after the late Thag Simmons. It's a bunch of cavemen naming it after their dead caveman friend. <laughs>
1: I actually had never heard that before.
0: Yeah, and and scientists being giant nerds. read yeah. that. <laughs> and we're like, well, I mean we we don't call it anything else right now, so Thagomizer it is. I love it. Yeah. Also uh brought us the the famed cow tools strip, which is just uh a cow on its hind legs standing next to a table with some very poorly made tools and the caption cow tools often regarded as one of the worst uh, single-image comics in history. Uh,
2: I've seen that that very comic as an example of like how people, or specifically my AP Lit teacher, really wanted us to think about the author's intention for every word in the book and every image and metaphor. And that cow comic is an example exactly of sometimes... Creators just do stuff, and it doesn't mean anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I I think I read somewhere that when I asked about it, like, what does this mean? He basically was like, well, if a cow made tools, they wouldn't be very good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He's like, I was on a deadline. Leave me alone. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, that's probably it, honestly. <laughs> It is it is fun, though, to see the ways that like these newspaper comics are sort of a shared cultural experience yeah. that kind of gets brought out into other aspects of culture. Like, you know, we've we've had Garfield TV shows and movies. Mm-hmm. Aren't we getting another Garfield? Isn't that one of the things that Chris Pratt got his sticky hands on?
1: Oh, my gosh, I think so. Yeah. I don't know, I, I don't know about you guys, but Garfield and Friends came on like after school when I was in maybe m- like middle school, late elementary. Um, and it was a secret watch for me. I wasn't supposed to watch TV on school days, but uh, my parents weren't home yet, so on goes the Garfield.
0: One of my favorite things to think about with that show is what gender did you think normal was as a kid?
1: <laughs> I don't know
0: because <laughs> I've gotten all kinds of answers to that question, and it, ju- it just fascinates me to think about like I always thought that normal was female coded like a oh, Nurmal yeah, was a girl do. cat in my head and apparently that's not true
2: first uh first age under cat in comics there we yes. go
0: yes yes normal the non-binary icon
2: <laughs> Uh there was uh i actually have a lot of garfield collections like more than any of the other comics that i have and i remember reading those a lot of everything else when I was a kid. But then I sat down to try to read the collection called um, Garfield Takes the Cake, and I couldn't get into it. I mean, just all of the strips, I don't know, they, they're they all independently kind of mean, you know? Um, and that's kind of the joy of Garfield, is that he just says the things that he means, but reading them as a collection going from one mean strip to the next mean yeah. strip was too much.
1: Yeah, the one I picked up um, to review uh, prepping for this was uh, Garfield Belly Laughs is the name of the collected edition from that I got from my library. Um, spoiler, there is not a single belly laugh to be had in this unless your idea wow. of a great joke is... Uh, i hate mondays
0: scathing review from Kate Scottless. i know
1: right it was false advertising okay i was a little upset
0: i chuckled uh, at best says Kate.
1: <laughs> i did not even chuckle they were mostly just depressing <laughs> i don't know i was looking at the recent ones thinking like are they any better and all of the recent ones are about dieting because it's january and i'm like nope that's it for
2: me
0: <laughs> yeah it's uh it's january the time we all make promises that we have no intention of keeping
2: my, you mean like my promise of finishing all my library books?
0: Yeah, yeah, do, you're not going to do that. <laughs> but we we both know it. I respect that about you. But <laughs> when I see that pile, I think to myself, eh, maybe half.
2: <laughs> I do read all of them. Sometimes they're just overdue or have max like maxed out the automatic renewals. Yeah. Um. I I did want to talk about another comic that I read a collection of though that I that I haven't seen anywhere. Like I, it is almost certainly out of print. This was the Wonderful World of J. Wesley Smith, and it's by Burr Schaefer. I've this is the book that had my this. name, my aunt's name on on the inside cover of it. The copyright in the book was 1960, and um, and the price on the cover was fifty cents for a book. Anyway, so this comic I, I did find um, a source that talked about this a little bit. Um, Wikipedia was not helpful. Surprisingly, usually Wikipedia has everything, even if it's wrong, you know. <laughs> um, but this comic ran in the 1950s and 1960s, often in the New Yorker or the Saturday Evening Post, and like the there, it's a one-panel comic, and it's like all it's all referential. It all references like things in history or politics, or jokes about like culture. And some of them definitely went over my head. Like there was a joke about like the price of stamps. And I'm like, this isn't funny. But then again, I don't know what it's referencing. Then some like knowing how some of these other topics turned out like, like a typewriter being like, no one's ever going to use this thing. Knowing how, how these things turned out 50 years in the future, or more, um, really like sheds a new a new level of humor on them. And since I, I can't Possibly tell you where to go and find this. I took some pictures of it and and put the best the the best panels on my Instagram, which is Kate Elfier, um, same as my Twitter handle. And I'll and I'll post a link in the show notes as well.
1: That was one of the things when I was rereading Calvin and Hobbes. Where I'm like, so many of the things about uh, the more, you know, how there's like interspersed with the childhood stuff. There's like actual commentary on the world, and so much of it is like, oh, this is still true if not truer today than it was in 95 when this came out like uh his dad Calvin's dad complaining about how things that were supposed to make life easier like the modem and fax machines and stuff have just made the work day last all all day and you're supposed to be you know instantly available and yada yada and I'm like oh boy wait until he gets email <laughs> yeah.
0: you have no idea my friend
1: buckle up when you have a cell phone you're supposed to always answer yeah it's I don't know. Did you guys read Dilbert and stuff as a kid? Because I definitely Ooh. did. Yeah. And then looking back, I'm like, why? It was a whole comic about like the drudgery of office life. Why was I reading
2: this when I was like eight?
0: <laughs> yeah, it makes a lot more sense now that you look back and realize that Scott Adams is like a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So.
2: Yeah, there was a couple of, of strips like that for me in my childhood. Like, I just didn't really get them, but I read them because they were there. Yeah, exactly.
1: They're on the page, ergo, you're going to read it. So,
2: yeah, I definitely avoided there were like serial comics, especially there was one that was like law based um, huh. and I just didn't get it like i don't understand why like the strip was interesting i'm sure that like in context if i followed it week to week there would have been a story behind it that you know there's not that you know there didn't seem to be a punchline like there was in a for better for worse arc
0: you know what was there there was one i think it was like prince valiant or something like that that was just a full-on like king arthur style knight's tale that like i never read because it looked very boring. I think I did yeah, try to that, read that. Yeah, I remember
1: what, the one you're talking about, and I also never read it. Anything with too much text, my uh, childhood yeah. self was just like, nope.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that I wasn't diagnosed with ADHD sooner in life.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm going to take you guys on a little bit of a trip here, uh, and that is into the what-if territory that you know I'm so fond of. Uh, there's a play out there called Dog Sees God that is a basically a what if story a potential future for the peanuts gang fully unauthorized so they don't use any of the actual names so you know it's people like CB and uh, the red haired girl but it is basically like Snoopy has just gotten rabies and been put down and (laughs) how, how are these teenagers handling the fallout from that and it is like Dark and weird and super funny. Huh. I remember I was I was in college and my brother sent me a text like, hey, do you want to go see a play this weekend? And I was like, what the hell? A play? Like, is this the 1800s? But sure, I'll check it out. <laughs> uh, and that was actually a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's definitely the kind of thing where, like, there, there's going to be some moments that maybe hit home for people in ways they don't like but yeah uh all in all i found it fun enough that i i found a website that sold scripts for plays and i actually have the script for this play sitting on my bookshelf upstairs i'm astonished i haven't lost it because if you've ever seen a like a a script book like that they're like eight by four inches or something stupid like that like they're tiny But that, that and Mr. Marmalade have followed me around from house to house for years now.
1: That sounds interesting. I don't think I'd want to read the script uh, to start with, because reading plays never is as much fun as watching them. Uh, but I'd love to see it if someone put it on. And it wasn't risking my life to go sit in a theater.
0: Yeah. Yeah, of course.
1: Details.
2: I'm curious. You you mentioned that these scripts have followed you from house to house, but I'm wondering if there is a a newsprint comic that it like just keeps cropping up in your life that you're not seeking out. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just like a cultural experience that pervades. Uh, yeah, I don't know culture. <laughs> like it's not just the newspapers anymore. Is there anything like that for you?
0: Nothing that I can think of beyond sort of like the the general theme of like parent versus child antagonism, which is yeah. a big part of uh of a lot of these newspaper comics. Like Calvin and Hobbes is all about. I mean, it's about a kid's imagination, but whatever the parents are around, it's about them trying to get him to do something and him trying to get out of it. And sometimes he wins and sometimes they win. That that whole theme of like, my parents are squares and I don't want to listen to them really like has been a through line.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, the peanuts are what come up the most for me, but it's not reading them. It's, I still watch the like holiday specials and stuff when, when it's uh, the holidays, especially the Christmas one. And so I think those are like the most present in my life in terms of like just culturally a part of things.
2: I keep seeing Calvin and Hobbes like everywhere. I mean, I, we have a couple of Kel- Calvin and Hobbes collections, but like um, it just like shows up on T-shirts and I randomly see strips shared on on Reddit and non-comic uh, forums or Pinterest, you know what- things like that
1: what comes up so much more in terms of thinking about this is like web comics have very much taken that place of like, I see strange planet comics all over social media and my work slack and my friends telegram, like things like that get circulated so much more now than things from traditional newsprint strips. And like the Liz Clemo will show up, you know, thing like, I feel like so many of those have become more cultural touch points.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, XKCD. Yeah. I think is the big yep. one.
1: The one that you need like people reference it in like a joke and you everyone knows what they're talking about. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, as as Mike pointed out, uh the Calvin peeing on stuff stickers that oh, we God. see on the back of like every a hole's car in mm-hmm. Michigan. Uh because it's always, you know, Calvin peeing on Gretchen Whitmer's name or something no. like that. It's like, come on, man.
1: It's nice when they like actually hang the red flags out front for you to see though. So then you like know <laughs> what you're getting into when you interact with that person.
0: That's true. I will not be surprised when that guy cuts in front of me without using his turn signal mm-hmm. a mile down the road. Very cool. Well, uh, do you, anybody have any, any closing thoughts before we wrap this bad boy up?
2: Um, conveniently, an episode of one of the few podcasts that I still listen to Um Did cover some newspaper comics this week and I wanted to give them a shout out because the timing was fantastic and the podcast is fantastic and that's imaginary worlds and this week the title of that was politics of the funnies part one and they they actually talked about the strip pogo which ran from 1948 to 1975 by Walt Kelly and specifically they talk about how like yes comics. Uh, are political. <laughs> and they're going to keep talking about it, I guess, because this is only part one. Um, I highly recommend.
0: Also, just a very good podcast listener to fall asleep, not because I'm- it's uninteresting, but that guy's voice no. is just perfect. deeply
2: calming.
1: I usually listen to it in the evening while getting ready for bed for that exact reason. Just like that and the Hidden Brain podcast from NPR, same thing. Very interesting. Like it's no, it's nothing on them that they are so soothing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, I'll have to listen to that. I am behind on that podcast because I was grinding on audiobooks for too long. And now I have like 300 backlogged uh, podcast episodes to listen to. Um, but that sounds really cool.
0: Good luck at Godspeed, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> uh that's gonna do us for this week uh you can join us back here next week when we talk about nfts and the shit of blockchain with mike tia and special guest comic creator henry barajas Uh, you can follow us all on twitter you can follow kate at kate elfier you can follow me at brian head and you can follow the show at ircb podcast uh that's on twitter instagram and now tiktok yeah, check us out on TikTok. I really enjoy those little little clips.
2: This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Thank you again, Joel Amprex, for today's episode. Join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga Saga, and more. Join now at patreoncom ircb podcast And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show five stars. You know we deserve it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help us spread the word about IRCB.
1: You can join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record. Check the link in the show notes. And it would help us a lot if you tell your friends in your local comic shop about the show, too.
0: Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all the music for our show. Xander is uh, just, a, just a great guy, just a good boy. Uh, he does all the editing for our show. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Kate and Kate, for joining me. Thank you, Mike and Xander, for all the work you guys put into this show. And thank you to the audience for uh, tuning in. We really appreciate you guys. And until next time, comics are good and so are you.